Ellis Palmer and welcome to the slightly more regular edition of the EPL Weekly Podcast. Today we're going to be reviewing the games from match week 35 in the company of our producer Dave Karen and football freelance football journalist Chris Weir. How are you doing Dave? How's everything going in Brazil? Uh, a bit rainy today. It doesn't know what it wants to do. It's a bit like home. It's rain, rain one minute, sunny the next. Back to rain again. Ah, winter's arrived. And how's it going with you, Chris? Well, sorry to tell you, Dave, but it's a bit Brazilian here. 20 degrees. Lovely blue skies. It's fantastic getting sunburned as we speak. Well, I'll put it like I said, I didn't, I didn't have my air conditioning on last night, Chris. It fell sort of about 25 degrees. It was a bit, a bit nippy, you know. <laughs> oh, I feel so, so sorry. <laughs> I can hear the sympathy and empathy there, you know. <laughs> oh, guys, I don't know. But no, it, it's pretty, I'm back from Barcelona, I'm back in the UK now, and it's pretty, it's pretty decent weather. It's quite sunny here, so it's, it's pretty decent conditions. Let's kick off with the games from the weekend. I'm going to run through the games and then we'll delve into them. First off, Saturday. Uh, Saturday's kickoff. Uh, the first game was West Brom against Leicester. That was a 1-0 win for Leicester City away from home. Southampton drew 0-0 with the mighty Tigers, Hull City. Stoke City drew 0-0 with West Ham. There's nothing like a sunny uh, Saturday at Stoke to uh, cheer you up. Uh, Sunderland lost 1-0 to Bournemouth away from home. Sunderland are obviously relegated from the Premier League. And... Crystal Palace lost 1-0 at home from to Burnley on Sunday. Manchester United drew 1-1 with relegation-threatened Swansea. Middlesbrough, who could almost be down theoretically this weekend if they lose, drew 2-2 with my team Manchester City. Everton lost 3-0 to Chelsea. And Tottenham beat Arsenal Wenger's Arsenal. 2-0 at the White Hart Lane in the North London Derby. On Monday, Liverpool beat mid-table Watford 1-0 away from home. So let's start off Saturday's games. We've got West Brom in now in eighth position, 44 points. Their fourth loss in a row, and they haven't won in their last five games. Against Leicester City in 11th place, they're now on 40 points. They've had... Six wins in their last ten games, one draw and three defeats. So for a while, guys, it seemed that Leicester were going to be relegated. But now they're pushing back up into mid-table position. And Craig Shakespeare's men are doing pretty well, aren't they? I think I'll start this by saying that I never thought I'd celebrate a Jimmy Varticle like I did. I mean, the, the games on Saturday were just so poor. And by the end of the first 45 minutes around the stadiums, Vardy's goal was the only goal to show for in the entire league. Um, having said that, I wouldn't go as far as to say that it was an entertaining match. Leicester were effective in, in the manner that they were effective last year and picking up results um, on, the, on the break. Party took his chance very well for his 17th goal of the season. But I would just like to make a special mention of the pass from Akasaki, who I think is probably one of the most underrated players in the league. Um, Leicester have been really quite efficient since Shakespeare took over. Um, probably the high point, even though they lost, was the defeat against Atletico Madrid. But they really pushed on from there. And they've, they've saved themselves what was beginning to look like a bit of an embarrassment of the season. Um, having said that, I don't think they can hold their heads too high. Um, because the, I, you know, everyone expected Leicester to retreat to the mean someone after the success of last year. But it was still a particularly stark demise, even with that. 
Um, I'd be more concerned if I was Tony Poulos, and as Alice said in the introduction, that's um, no wins in four, but they've been hopeless for far longer. Um, it's almost as if once they hit the 40-point mark, Tony Poulos has just said, right, that's it. Let's just stop trying. I know he was adamant in the post-match press conferences that you know that wasn't the case, but maybe subconsciously his players have decided, look, we're not in any real danger here. Let's just put in the, put in the minutes and let's book our flights away because I, I, they didn't turn up as far as I'm concerned. But no, Leicester got the result they needed and they'll sit comfortably in mid-table and given where, where they came from over the past few years, they can still be happy with that. Yeah, you're right in what you say there, really, Chris. I mean, Craig Shakespeare at Leicester, since he's come in, he's taken 19 points from a possible 27 since the departure of Claudio Ranieri. I mean, Ranieri, in his last 20 matches in charge, only took 13 points. And Leicester improved under Craig Shakespeare, but also Vardy's improved under Craig Shakespeare. I mean, Vardy scored eight goals in 12 games against under Shakespeare, and that's as many as he netted under Ranieri this season. And that's, that's impressive, really, isn't it? And for a time, we were talking about Leicester potentially being one of the first teams to go down after winning the league. And, you know, they made the right decision in appointing Shakespeare because they, they've gone right up in the league again, wouldn't you say, Chris? You know, part of me thinks it's, it's overly simplistic to say that Vardy suddenly became good again once Ranieri was sacked, but the statistics do seem to indicate that that was the case. Whether he become disillusioned with the, with the manner and the state of play, I know that Ranieri tried to change a few things that, that have made the team so successful in the previous year. Um, so maybe with Shakespeare coming in and playing to the team's strengths again, Vardy has benefited from that. And, you know, it's, it's good to see because... You know, there are too many English players who come in, have a decent season, and then fade into obscurity. And Brody couldn't, at his age, couldn't really afford to do that, um, particularly having turned down and moved to Arsenal this summer. So, fair play to him for, for getting back on form. And as you say, eight goals in 12 games, that's, that's a pretty decent return. And he's a major part of the reason why Leicester's find themselves in a comfortable position after four away, looking like they might be drawn into the relegation dogfight. Indeed, indeed. I mean, it was a good win for Craig Shakespeare returning to his former club of West Brom. And, you know, it was, he was a coach there and a player there, so it was quite a significant return for him. But let's talk about West Brom. We haven't really talked about West Brom on this podcast before. And we've sort of gone a little bit under the radar. But in terms of where they are in the league, they're in eighth place. They're doing incredibly well for, really, West Brom historically. 44 points and they've, they've won 12 games and uh, lost 14 games this season but they're still in a pretty in a pretty solid position in the league the biggest problem for West Brom is really Tony Pulis and what happens when Pulis reaches 40 points I mean Tony Pulis's teams historically have only won six of the 43 Premier League games they've played after reaching 40 points and so far in my last seven matches uh, since um, West Brom reached the mark on the 2nd of April. They've only added three points to their total. And that's a dangerous precedent, really, isn't it? It is, but um, when you get to this point, you also have to question the club's ambition. Are they happy to just reach 40 points and then stay anonymous? Is there any ambition to go on from where they are and maybe progress a bit more? Uh, don't get me wrong, Pulis has, again, done fantastically well. You know, He, he certainly isn't a one-trick pony. He's done it with Crystal Palace. He's done it first with Stoke for, for many years. He got them into the Premier League. He is good at this, but is he the manager to take the club onto the next level if they have that ambition? 
Of course, the question is, if they do make that, that kind of stride and try, try and make that advance, will it backfire? We've seen clubs try and push on and, and be punished either with poor league places or with relegations. So it's a, it's a, it's a delicate balance in that that the club faces but going into the summer with recruitment. How do they strengthen? What areas do they need to strengthen and what their targets are for next season? Will fans be happy with the same result? Because Pulis gives you one thing and that's stability, organisation. Will that be enough in the long term for the fans and the chairman? That remains to be seen. I think it's interesting as well, Alice, you mentioned here about, about West Brom. You know, if you look one place above them in the table, you have Everton, who, you know, and we've, we've had Paul on the podcast. He's done several podcasts with us here on WFI. And the ambition of one place above them is completely different. And, you know, as I say, I, I don't know any West Brom supporters. If there are any out there, please get in contact with us because we'd love to have you on. But I can't imagine... You know, what what you're saying there about reaching the 40 points and switching off and basically on the beach, you know, we beat them uh, last week. Uh, Liverpool beat them last week and, you know, they gave us a game. Um, but I think that's more to do with Liverpool's de- uh, deficiencies rather than West Brom's strengths. There doesn't seem to be that any ambition there. There doesn't seem to be ambition. And, and I appreciate, you know, traditionally they're not a huge club and, and the budget wouldn't be there. But you would like to think somewhere in the, in, in the boardroom or in, in the running of the club of West Brom, there would be somebody sitting down and saying, look, we're eighth in the league here. You know, we're, we're, we've done well this season. What for next season? Uh, and if you stick with Tony Poulos, you're, you're going to get the same thing. You're going to get the, 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 to 40 points as quick as you possibly can. Um, you know, you, you outlined the other clubs he was at. It was like watching rugby at times. So it wasn't it wasn't pretty. What you're going to get on the pitch is not pretty. And you wonder, as and, and this is why I would really love to have a West Brom fan on, you wonder what it feels like for them season on season. Is it just enough? To, to, to survive or, or, you know, you're sitting in eight. Would, would, as a West Brom fan, I think I'd be sitting with, with ambitions. Maybe, you know, let, let's get into the Europa League. Let's see how we do there. And, you know, maybe if we do well there, maybe we can make the next step. But I don't see that. You never hear those noises coming out of West Brom. Um, they always just seem to be happy with the survival. It's, it's a really, really good season for them, Ellis. But I, I just wonder their ambitions. I think if you're West Brom, you're looking around your shoulder a lot of the time and you're looking at what's happened with clubs when they have tried to expand, when they have tried to go into competitions in recent memory. Birmingham City obviously won the Colleen Cup back in 2011 and then famously got relegated in the same season. As did Aston Villa. They got to the FA Cup final only, only a few seasons ago now and then got relegated the following season or season after. So you're looking around your shoulder all the time and you're thinking, hold on. If we do try and push up, could that have a negative impact, given they don't really necessarily have the famous sort of strength and depth you necessarily need? But from a financial perspective, Tony Pulis is probably doing exactly what the owners want of him in keeping the club in the Premier League. Because the most important thing for a club like that is that they stay in the Premier League and that they have a consistent run in the Premier League for, for a good few seasons. Good to see West Brom doing that. Because historically, they've been a, a bit of a, a submarine. They've been in and out of the Premier League, and now they're consistently in there. You know, I think it's strong to see. And you say about players with ambition. I mean, they've signed, uh, they signed Salvador Wondon a couple of seasons ago from uh, Zenit St. Petersburg, and he's been quite a, a decent performer for them. So they have got ambition. They have brought in good players, and I hope they can push on and develop, really, West Brom. But, you know, obviously, what's up next for these two teams, you may be asking. West Brom travel to Burnley this weekend, 1500 kickoff on Saturday. And then they've got a very tricky run of games in the final couple of games in the season. They host Chelsea 
and visit Manchester City in my last two games of the season. I wouldn't want that if I was a West Brom fan. I'll tell you that much. In terms of Leicester, um, they've got a pretty difficult run in again. They uh, travel to Manchester City uh, next weekend. And then they welcome title chasers Tottenham at home for the last game of the season. So neither of those teams have got a very, very fair run in, would you say, guys? No, but neither of them are really, really any trouble or any threat of going down now, uh, in my opinion, anyhow. No, it's, neither it's a of case them are. They both made 50 no. points. It's 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 about you you know for them now it's about league position and how much appetite and I don't know about you guys and, and you know I saw I saw two games on Saturday and I saw the highlights of all and there's a lot of teams who are on the beach already or have, you know have one foot on the beach already it, it's almost like you know they're they're just running the clock down as little as possible and you know let's get into next season. And yeah, that, that's all very well, but you know there's still competitive uh, parts of the league, relegation, top four, things like that, and you know qualification for Europe and things like that that are still relevant. And I, and it's just a thing in the game in the last few games of the season. I don't like to see these teams, as I say, that the saying is on the beach. And I feel that this weekend we saw a few teams that were already there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with that to a certain extent. But uh, like you said, teams will will be looking with an eye to the next season and, and trying to prevent any possible injuries and not run to overexert themselves because for many teams, West Brom in particular, their season's aim has already been achieved and anything is a bonus from then. And you know yourself, once it gets to the, in the office at half three, four o'clock, you're looking at the clock thinking when's five o'clock coming, you're not going to take on any new work. It's, you know, it's a, it's a natural reaction once you've reached what you want to achieve. You slacken off a bit. It happens even with tech winners. I remember when, whenever Arsenal secured um, league titles Thierry Henry has been vocal in the past about you know it's been very difficult to to reach that level of performance once you've achieved what you set out to I think it's a, a natural human reaction and I think teams they recognise they don't really have much to play for now but unfortunately it, it affects the quality of the football on display it does indeed and that's, that's the industry we're in really you know but I think probably looking at the games from the weekend, I'd say the two games that cry out to me, clubs on the beach, one would be um, Stoke City against West Ham. Both teams are, are relatively safe. I think West Ham have actually drawn three of their last, well, they've drawn three of their last week and they've won, one of, they've won and uh, lost one of their last five against Stoke City. That that was a nil-nil draw. That, for me, represents the teams being on the beach. And then Southampton's nil-nil draw with Hull City. Um, we're going to come on to now. South 33 games played, 40 points, ninth place. It's Club Rio's first season in the Premier League, and he's managed to cement Southampton's status as a Premier League side, but also secure a mid-table position and a cup final against Manchester United in the League Cup. And Hull City, 17th place, 35 points. So 35 games played, 34 points, and in the last 10 games, they have won, lost five, and drawn two. Now, obviously, it's a nil-nil draw, but I think it's a nil-nil draw that means Hull City could potentially be safe. Only, you know, Swansea are two points away from them, but given the general momentum of Hull City since Marco Silva has come in, I think they, they've really pushed on. It's been very really good to see, because for a long time, people thought but Beyond it, wouldn't you say, guys? Just on your point, Dallas, I think it'll feel more like a victory for Hull City, um, particularly with the uh, Yukubovic's penalty save. It was a fantastic reach line 
down to his bottom corner to save. Um, but Hill have been very impressive since Marco Silva has taken over, especially at home. I think the signings have really added a bit of um, impetus to the attack. Kamil Grzycki and Lazar Markovic in particular have really revitalised Hull. Uh, with Klukas in the middle, they they look like they're, they're up for the fight more so perhaps than any of the relegation rivals. Um, I thought the game in particular was a, a bit of a drab affair, I must say. I don't think much happened in it until Alfred and Dye's tackle on Yoshida for the penalty. A special note for Claude Puel as well. This is his first season in English football. He he worked wonders with Nice, um, who've went on to do equally well, if not better, this year. Um, but he's 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 another one who's flown under the radar and has just quietly guided to Southampton another mid table finish and a Carling Cup final. And you know, he's done his job and and he's been quietly impressive. But Southampton, nothing really much to play for. Um Hull they they did very well to get the result, uh, result that gives them you know added hope going into the next round of fixtures. Um, they rather than most of the teams around them looked like they had the most about them, um, to try and get some of the remaining fixtures. I mean, Hull City picked up only their second point on the road under Marco Silva in eight away games played in the top flight this season. So although Marco Silva's turned around, he's made the uptick in my form at KC Stadium and. You mentioned Yapukovic's penalty save there, Chris. That's his second penalty save of the season in the Premier League. No other keeper has more. And whilst Yapukovic was sort of ostracised at the start of the season, Marco Silva has given him a, a chance to come in and he's, he's proved himself, really. And, you know, it's become something of a fan favourite to have interestingly, they've conceded the most penalties this season. They've conceded 12 penalties and... Ten of them have been successfully converted by their opponents, and that is the highest amount of penalties that have conceded by, been conceded by any team in a single Premier League campaign. But pushing forward to this weekend, Southampton travel to Dave's Liverpool on Sunday at 13:30, whilst Hull City, fingers crossed, received much-needed boost against already relegated Sunderland on Saturday at. Three o'clock. Right, moving on to the other games from the weekend. I think we're going to kick off with our first big game of the weekend, which was Manchester United 1-1 against Swansea City. Dave, we were talking about this earlier on. You know, United were lucky to get that penalty, weren't they, to score the goal? Lucky? That penalty? You called it a penalty? It (laughs) It wasn't even any contact. It was the most ridiculous decision. It beggars belief how the officials are missing these. You know, United are getting their fair share of luck. I'm no lover of United, as you know, but, you know, the amount of goals they've scored from offside positions and so on this season um, sort of belies their points tally in many respects. And, and instances like this are just, it's just what you expect from United. But the beauty of it was that that free kick to equalise was just, it was fantastic, wasn't it? Just totally deserved from Swansea. Who, you know, I, I don't think are finished yet. Uh, Ellis, you know, you talk about Hull and you think they're safe. At least Swansea, I think the last pod I did with you, I was complaining about Swansea that didn't seem to be much of a fight about them. Well, there was plenty of fight about them at Old Trafford. And, uh, you know, it might not be over. As for United, you know, this this record that we were talking about as well of all these unbeaten games and so on, there's just too many draws in there. I saw this week Roy Keane complaining in the media. He was speaking at uh, a kick-out racism 
And basically, he called it a disgrace that clubs like Liverpool and Manchester United, I'm sure Chris, he meant Arsenal in that as well, you know, are are celebrating and, and planning to celebrate getting into the top four. It's, it's about winning trophies and so on. And as much as I dislike Roy Keane as a player, um, I, I have total respect for him, absolutely. He was a magnificent footballer. Um, I, I just didn't like him. Uh, but he, he's right in this. And, and you know, it, it's... It's almost this sort of thing now with, with top four and you, you have to be in top four and, and it's celebrated. You know, Liverpool and United, and, and to, to a degree, I think Arsenal can't really rule them out 100% just yet. Um, the results could, could go their way and Liverpool's unpredictability. The top four at the minute, it's, it's a hard call. But as a Liverpool fan, if we get top four, I will feel relief. I will not feel celebration. It's just one of those things. United this season, I don't think, have looked anywhere near the Manchester United that we know. And considering the outlay uh, that, that they've had on players and so on, it beggars belief. The fact that they haven't used uh, Mkhitaryan half as much as they should have, I, I consider him one of their best players. I, I don't know what Mourinho's playing at. One thing he can't complain about is the rub of the green because they get they seem to get it at every turn. And I don't know whether that's me with my Liverpool bias um, <laughs> noting this week on, week out. Um, you know, but it, it just seems that even with the luck this season, they're, they're not good enough. And I think that really at the weekend, they got what they deserved. Uh, as I say, it was a joy to watch that free kick fly in. It was a wonderfully taken free kick, but it's no more than United deserved, in my opinion. No, I mean, United this season have set new club record for the longest unbeaten run within a single top flight season, 25 games. But within those 25 games... Can you see Fergie being happy with that run of games? I would say Fergie's would have had some things to say about that run of games. 13 wins and 12 draws. United this season, maybe, have been lost three games. And if you think, if Mourinho wasn't such a, a specialist in draws as he has been this season, United would be well inside that top four, don't you think, Chris? Yeah, they would be. But like you say, they're, they're just simply too many draws. And... Alongside the draws, it's it's a manner of their performance and maybe it's some explanation this week in that this is their ninth game in, in the last month, something which Mourinho said was a disgrace, but he's always quick to moan. Um, but the style of play all year has, has just felt discombobulated, just very disjointed, and they, they still don't know what their best defence is. And with Baye going off injured, that, that again looks like it's going to be an area of uncertainty. Mourinho's strange tactics with players, for example... The alienation of Luke Shaw, the failure to play Mkhitaryan more regularly. Um, Pogba has been good this year, but I think he's been sort of sullied by that 90 million price tag. He's done well, but hasn't done well enough. They've really been saved by Ibrahimovic's goals. And without him on, at the weekend, the one thing you could look at with, with United was you would always get a, a, a dominant performance. And apart from the game against Chelsea, I can't really recall a dominant United performance. They, they grind out results. They're just very dour to watch. And and I, their starting eleven is is well remains to be clarified. I just uh, in attack they're they're too inconsistent and they're not dominant enough and they just seem to be treading water. I know their 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 league position will be better this year, but I I just don't look forward to seeing them play. And with Ibrahimovic leaving in the summer, I know they've been like with Griezmann, but they, I think they would need a a, a proper centre forward in, in quotes alongside him. Um, they still, and this is remarkable considering the amount of money they spent in the summer, they still need a lot of investment, particularly in defence. Um, they need a world-class defender, um, amongst many other things. And will De Gea stay in the summer? He was meant to go to Real Madrid a few years ago. You know, Does he not want to go home anymore? 
will he want to stay in United if if it happens that they don't qualify for the Champions League? You know, this was a game that they really couldn't afford to drop points on. Um, they were saved somewhat by the fact that Arsenal were just as rubbish, um, which I'm sure we'll get into later. But I just know United are, are just like a damp, cold Tuesday night for me. Just nothing to redeem them about them, unfortunately. But again, maybe this is a case of anti-United bias. I'll tell you another thing as well, Ellis. Finally, Fellaini sees red. Finally, because, you know, he has got far too few red cards, in my opinion. Anytime I see that player, he has just a red card waiting to happen. And that, along with Ibrahimovic being out, is, is really, really damning for them because Mourinho seems to, seems to favor Fellaini for whatever reason. I, I would never have thought he'd be that, he'd be that type of player for Mourinho, but that is going to be a massive loss for them given the magnitude of the games that, that they have coming up. Um, because he does, but you know, he may do it illegally, but he does add a bit of steel. I don't disagree with you there. Fellaini does. Add something to United's attack. Maybe it's height. Maybe it's that dynamism. But obviously, he's suspended. He was very daft to do what he did really against Manchester City. But just looking at Wayne Rooney, there's a lot of people who, there's a lot, in a lot of speculation, will Wayne Rooney stay at Manchester United? Will he go? Where will he go? But just looking at this, he's had seven goals in his past seven Premier League appearances against Swansea. Penalties, top ends, and officers. They're not goals. Three goals, four assists. But he's also, interestingly, he's the first United player to score 20 Premier League penalties for the club. So even though people are like, oh, he's not the same as he was before, blah, 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 he's still breaking records for Manchester United. Well, he'll not be breaking a transfer record for them by leaving this season. That's one record he'll not be breaking. I, I, I don't know how they get rid of him, to be honest with you, Ellis. And it comes down to basically the wage that he's on. And from what I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he has another two years to run on that contract. So to move him out this season, um, you know, I think it's 330k a week he's on or something like that. It, it's finding someone who, given his current condition uh, and, and as he is as a player, which I think is much, much, much reduced from from his prime, so to speak. Uh, given the fact that he's he's barely played certainly um, this season, certainly not, not nothing like the role that we've seen from him in the past. I'm sure United would love to offload him. I'm just curious as to how they do that. Maybe next season they might have to, you know, stick by it another season. And I think if you were really, you got to look at it from Rooney's point of view. If you're sitting on 330k a week and sitting at Manchester United, what do you want to go and play for for somewhere? Unless you're going to the MLS or he's going to go to China or something. But again, English players don't normally like to do that. You know, we saw Gerard go across there next year. Sure, he was only there a tea break and he was back. You know, I, I find it difficult. To, to get my head around who is going to pay Wayne Rooney sufficiently to move him from Manchester United and I think that's the question Chris any thoughts on this? Yeah I just think the whole Rooney debate has become tiresome I agree with Dave and you know if you're a club looking to qualify for Europe which is I'm guessing the type of the calibre of a club that Rooney would like to move to what, 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 what would he bring to the team? Maybe a, you know a key pass off the bench or or a few goals from a penalty spot. I just think he's... I hate to be so conclusive about a player, but I just think he's more or less finished. Um, I, I think he could have some benefit maybe going back to Everton um, and perhaps being a mentor to the likes of Ross Barkley and Tom Davis. But he yeah, he just looks like he, he's he's past it now. And, and it's unfortunate to say that because he's had an astonishing career. You know, I, I remember him really starring at Euro 2004 for England, becoming England's youngest goal scorer. And what a talent we thought we had then. But, you know, has Wayne Rooney ever 
held a sort of worldwide acclaim that we we thought that he he might have had. I'm not so no. sure. And there off off pitch antics aside, you know, there have been more than one transfer request and you know rumors that transfer requests were engineered for improved contracts. I I don't think he's despite his status as one of the Premier Leagues and Manchester United's greatest goal scorers. I don't he- think he's held with as much affection by United fans as he perhaps should be given the given the goals and, and the assists that he's garnered over the years. And that's a shame. I don't think United fans would be too disheartened to see him leave in the summer because like I said, the whole debate has become tiresome. The team slows down and the team is slow enough, remember, with the likes of Ibrahimovic. Um I just think he slows the game down and if you put him in midfield, well who do you take out from that? Do you do you move Pogba to to facilitate him? Do you leave maybe Marshall or, or Lingard or the team? He, he seems to me like an obstruction. Um, it'll be an interesting summer. I think Mourinho is, is you know, he's savvy enough to know how to manage the situation. I think he's navigated it very well so far, the sort of retreat to having Rooney on the bench. But this summer could be key for Rooney's career. I, I, I don't know if he'll be here at United next season. And I don't think United fans will care either way. Let's talk about a player on the up. Despite Swansea's situation, Gilfie Sigurdsson has had a pretty... Very, well, pretty, very, very good season for Swansea. He's been directly involved in 21 of Swansea's 40 Premier League games this season, nine goals and 12 assists. And he was the first, he's become the first player to score in three consecutive Premier League away appearances at Old Trafford since Aguero in April 2015. A lot of people talk about Swansea and they talk about him going down and everything like that, but some of the goals and some of the passes and some of the plays that Gilfie Sigurdsson has made for Swansea this season have been exceptional. Yeah, I mean, uh, there, there have been two players who've largely been responsible for, for Swansea's continuing to have a chance at staying up. One of them is Fernando Viorente, whose goals from headers in particular have, have really added value. But Gilfie Sigurdsson, as you mentioned, involved in more than half of Swansea's goals this year. He's, he's, he's just a phenomenal player and one of the best free-tech takers in the league. Um, I know he was at Tottenham and it didn't work out for a, a variety of reasons. He wasn't used as regularly by Harry Redknapp as perhaps he should have been. And that's a shame because I, either way, if Swansea stay or don't stay in the Premier League, I think he will be because, quite frankly, he's too good for the Championship. I fully expect a team to come in for him in the summer. Um, he's a player with real pedigree, one of the most creative players, able to play a key pass, finish off a set piece. He has a, a lot to offer. And I still think he's relatively young as well. It'll be an interesting summer for him as well. Swansea will be hoping that they stay up because that, as far as I'm concerned, is the only chance of keeping him. Even at that, he still may not stay. If I was him personally with the performance I put in, I'd be wondering why I wasn't playing in Europe and, and at least the Europa League. So moving on to the next game of the weekend, was Middlesbrough against Manchester City. Middlesbrough, relegation threatened, of course. They could go down this next weekend. But they drew 2-2 against Manchester City. I mean, they were, they scored two very good goals, put themselves in the running, and then City came back through Gabriel Jesus in the 85th minute and managed to equalise and secure a point from that game. But surely, guys, Guardiola's men should be doing better than this by now. I think for me, Ellis, the, the bit about this um, was Middlesbrough played really well, and, and, and I think we should say that straight off the bat. Um, you know, I know City came back into it again. You know, Middlesbrough are fighting for their lives at the minute, and and it's you know they're fighting against the tide. I, I don't expect them to, to to get out of jail at all. But City have an easier run in than the rest of the, of, of the teams in the top in the top 
six, say. And they made hard work of this one. It's not what we expected from Guardiola. You know, uh, I think English football and certainly the English media were very quick to jump on Guardiola because he should have been winning everything. He should have been unassailable um, the, the whole season. But you've got to factor in that what he started with this season, okay, bought some quality players, but the core of players left by Pellegrini were, were, were an aging squad. And he couldn't change it all in one season. I remember doing a bodies in the box before a ball was kicked this season, and the suggestion was there that it could take him two to three windows to get his squad to be a Guardiola squad because a lot of the players, and, and I'm thinking more of your fullbacks there, Ellis, are not what Guardiola will want going forward. He did as much as he could in, in the limited time that he has. We saw players like, you know, Gabi Jesus, who was tied up. And, you know, I, I, before he went, I, I'd explained to you here in Brazil, he was magnificent and, you know, a super player. And he's hit the ground running as I expected him to. And his, his return from injury seems to have come at a perfect time for you because Aguero looks crocked again. And I just see Gabi Jesus as, as the future of Man City. And I say you've got Marlos Moreno to come back next season, who'll, who'll thrill you as well whenever you finally get to see him. With with a few more additions there, you know, Man City are going, not going to be they're going to be a completely different animal next season. You know, seeing the media as well that the Guardiola is being handed quite a sizable transfer budget, I would expect uh, his pool to to bring in the players that, that he would require to take them up, maybe two steps, never mind one. Uh, but I think that the problem with City this season, Ellis, has just been the fact that you know the Yaya Touris, the Vincent Companies, who who you desperately missed. But they're getting on a little bit, and you know that it, that whole squad just needed a freshen up. And I think what you're going to see in the summer window is, is Man City becoming a different animal to what we saw. And I think some of the criticism leveled at, at Guardiola has been ridiculous by the media. Um, you know, the, the, he can only do so much uh, in one season, and you know, I, I, I see them as nailed on. I've said this before. I, I, they're there for me. Three of the nailed on clubs for, for the Champions League. Uh, it's between United, Liverpool and Arsenal who who gets the fourth. But I think with, with their run-in, they, they should be fine. And they did show enough character to get themselves back into this. Not once, but twice. So, uh, you know, while it's probably disappointing for you, Alice, it's not the end of the world. No, it isn't. But I do sort of think there was too much expectation, really, in Guardiola. I think it had become a little bit unrealistic. We were expecting him to, you know, move the stars on the sky and win everything in his first season. And that just hasn't happened. As you say, City haven't really had any majorly significant investment as a majorly for the whole team since 2011-2012 when we last won the league. The core of the team has been aging. We haven't really signed, with the exception of Sane, uh, John Stones, Raheem Sterling in the last couple of years, we haven't always signed fresh young time and I think that's part of the problem but as well Vincent Company's been injured for the last waves of the season and Yaya Torre was also frozen out for the last waves of the season so the internal situation and the goalkeeping situation really hasn't helped things I don't think but Sergio Aguero has now scored 13 goals in his in his last 14 games for Manchester team in all competitions and he's a he's a Still a fantastic uh, poacher of a ball, isn't he, Chris? He's still the best, for my money, still the best Premier League striker. He's the most natural goal scorer. I know that he doesn't always subscribe to Pep Guardiola's style of play. And I know he's come out in the media and said that the hardest thing for his point of view has been the understanding that he's the first line of defence. And, you know, filling in with Guardiola's ultra-pressing philosophy has been tough for him. But if we're judging him on his merits, as we should, as a goal scorer, 
then there's no one better on his record speaks for itself his injuries notwithstanding um i just find that the reports i think i've mentioned this before i think the reports about him leaving potentially are just bizarre he's still young enough to be a highly effective player at man city and gabriel jesus for all his his worldly talents of which i'm not denying i think that he will need a, a player like aguero coming in and marlos moreno another talented south american but he hasn't got much of a sniff at Deportivo this year, and it'll be too much for him to, to expect to share the goal-scoring burden with Gabby Jesus, particularly who the Brazilian who's had a, a chocker block for years of football. Aguero still has mountains to offer. I think it would be a shame if he were to leave City on this note. I think he should be the club's number one striker going in this year, but I don't think he will be. I think that Guardiola prefers the ultra-mobile PSC attack brought to him with the with the young players like Sané, Sterling and Gabriel Jesus. If you could have an option like Aguero on the bench, well, you know, I would take it. I would certainly take it for my club. And I think he would be a natural starter for most clubs in Europe. Um, it's just sad from his point of view that he doesn't necessarily fit into Guardiola's philosophy. I think it would be a real shame if they let him go. There's the injury thing there too, Chris. He, he seems to be picking up quite a bit of, quite a few injuries in recent times, certainly this season. Niggly things keeps him out for a few weeks, he comes back. But would Sergio Aguero, I agree with what you're saying totally. The only, the only question I would have for what you said is, would Aguero settle for being, you know, coming off the bench, so to speak? Because I do think he's better than that. But again, you know, you've got to look at City's point of view with, with these injuries starting to creep in and the age starting to creep up a little bit. Maybe it is time to cut their losses. Yeah, but per- perhaps, and I agree with you, his injury record isn't great. If I was him, if I had the career that I had, that he had had and the quality that he has, I wouldn't accept being on the bench. Um, I would assume that my quality would give me a start, a starting place in the 11. I know he's been on record before saying that he wants at some point to return to Argentina. I still think it would be a bit early for that. I think he would maybe prefer a move to another European club in the short term. Maybe it could be a natural break, as you guys have said. And, you know, it's one of my least favorite footballing words, but Manchester City very much are the team at the bottom end of a cycle. Their transfer policy over the past 18 months has shown that with the signings of young prospects like John Stones and Raheem Sterling. They're trying to imbue the squad with fresh blood. And Aguero is very much of that cycle of, you know, Yaya Toure, Vassal Company, and David Silva. All players, maybe with the exception of Silva, whose continuing excellence is one of the real strengths of Man City are coming maybe to the natural end of their careers. Injuries are gradually keeping them out more and more. Guardiola may may decide that Aguero, for all his qualities, might be at a point where he could still get the club so a decent amount of money and a transfer fee. Yeah, it would just be a shame from my point of view concerning his his contribution um, over the years as a Man City player. It would be, it would be a sad uh, day to see him go. Moving on to talk about Chelsea, actually. Chelsea on Sunday faced Everton and they beat Everton 3-0. All their goals came in the second half. Chris, what did you think from this match? Well, I, I think everyone thought that this this was going to be the game where something happened, where Chelsea slipped up and let Tottenham in. But in the end, the game itself was a bit of an anticlimax, I have to say. It was absorbing, but not much goal-mouth action until the second half. Um, the fact that Pedro scored the goal, um, you know, some of the commentators were surprised that it was Pedro who scored the goal. This is a player who has built a career on pairing in the right place at the right time, scoring crucial goals, as he has done for Barcelona over the years. And what a strike on his left foot to beat Stecklenburg. It was absolutely sensational. Um, and the scenes from Conte after the game, from, from him and the players, as they cheer towards the crowd, they, I think they know themselves that 
this was it. This was the game that where they secured the title. Their their fixtures after this are relatively innocuous. Um, this was the one massive speed bump on the road to glory, and and in the end, it wasn't much of an examination. Um, Everton failed to offer anything going forward. The Kaku in particular was mm, was very wishy washy. He, he he was very ineffective, but. Um, the team in general, Everton, they, they blow hot and cold, and unfortunately they blew very cold in this game. They didn't really offer much anything going forward. Is it with a day that the title was won, though? I mean, Chelsea's last five games of the season is four member league. One is the FA Cup final against Arsenal. They faced Middlesbrough at home on Monday, then on Friday they faced West Brom, and then the following Monday, Watford at home, and then the last game of the season, Sunderland at home. Win three of those games, they will be the Premier League champions for the sixth time. Was Sunday the day that Chelsea won the league, Dave? I think so. Um, I really do. Um, as you say, it should have been a stiffer test than it was because Everton have, have played some great football in recent times, but they didn't. Uh, as Chris rightly pointed out, they they just didn't. And Lukaku was, was very off the boil for a player that's, that's looked brilliant in recent weeks. You know, as I say, Chelsea just have got into that groove of winning. Um, I think that even, you know, we, we talked about a pre-pod about the four points to, to Tottenham. I just don't think, looking at their fixtures, there's no way that Tottenham can, can make up a four-point deficit there. And Tottenham has, have a couple of, you know, trickier games, let's say, uh, to negotiate than Chelsea do. I just think Chelsea have the head of steam on. I th- honestly, I've been saying for a long time the league has been over a long time, just give it to Chelsea because they they can't be caught, in my opinion, now. Um, I know it's mathematically possible, but in the real world, I just don't see them. I don't see them falling from this point. Uh, it would be a, it would be the biggest shock of the season if Chelsea do not win the league from here. As you say, Chris, that was a stunning goal from Pedro, really, wasn't it? it he's been a player who's who's been in out of the Chelsea team at times this season, but he has made an impact in Antonio Conte's team. Yeah, uh, Pedro is it was a he's, a he's a player who, despite his undoubted quality, has never really attracted the the kind of plaudits that his his talent deserves and he's made a career of appearing at the right place at the right time and he's scored a number of crucial goals in, in big games for Barcelona over the years but on a team alongside the likes of Leo Messi he's never been the star and and moving to Chelsea was his you know opportunity to move to a club that could really appreciate his talents and he's been quietly effective so far and he's been good this year he's really kicked on but the goal on, on Saturday was just a, a massive contribution to Chelsea's title challenge it was a fabulously taken strike, and he's done well to get to take Williams' place in the team. I, I think he will be crucial in, in in helping Chelsea secure the title in the next few games. But as I said, he's a player whose whose own unassuming nature has been the detriment of his of his plaudits. I think his he's a far better player than the media and the pundits would have you believe. And the goal on on Sunday was just testament to that fact. Indeed, and that game pretty much possibly could secure Chelsea's title. I, for one, don't think it will. I think four games still left, four points in it. I think there's still margin grower there. But it ends Everton's uh, chance to finish inside the top four, top five this season. And, you know, Everton have had an exceptional season considering where they were this season. Uh, Ronald Koeman's done a pretty good job of remounting them. Seventh place, 58 points. They are still going to get into the Europa League. And you've got to admit that's... That's pretty positive from where Everton is sitting, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I, I wrote an article a short while ago about Ronald Koeman and, and his managerial career. And it, it hasn't been the, the unquestioned success story that some people will have you believe. 
There have been sub-jobs where, like at Valencia where he was an unmitigated disaster. Um, but at Everton, he's really found the right mix. Um, and he's been quite blunt when he's needed to be with young talents like Ross Barkley and Lukaku. I think they've responded in general positively to that challenge. I think Koeman is a manager who doesn't take much aggro. He, he says what he thinks. And the team have largely responded. The game on Saturday was an unfortunate example, however, of Everton's tendency to collapse. Um, it's an all too regular if they want to kick on and, and perhaps qualify for the Champions League. There were a few weeks there where they looked like they had a real chance, but unfortunately they've collapsed at precisely the wrong time. Considering where they were under Martinez last year, though, I think Everton fans can be highly pleased with how the season's panned out. I think the, 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 the young players they have in the squad, Tom Davis and a few other young players, they, they really look promising for the future. Um, I, they might be an outside bet for Champions League places next season if they can keep them together. The one big question, as it, as it always will be, is Lukaku, whether he goes in the summer. It looks increasingly like he's not going to sign that contract and the club may be forced to sell him to get some money. Um, it's a shame, and but understandable from the player's perspective. He wants to play at the highest level. Um, but boy, if, if Everton somehow managed to keep him, they would be a real force next year. Indeed. And right, we're going to take a brief break here uh, before we go to look at the final games of the weekend. Watford against Liverpool. I just thought I'd take a quick break here to tell you all about the other podcasts that World Football Index has available. That's Football Grad and Russian Football, Dagan Pressing and Rabanda Tiga, the Champions League podcast, the Sand of the Liga on Guess What? La Liga, and the Serie A sit-down focusing on the Italian game. WFI is also global. We've got great coverage in the Americas too. The South American Football Podcast and Don't Call It Soccer on the MLS and the Liga MX are great listens. The Copa Libertadores podcast is also well worth checking out. If you're one for nostalgia, we've got a monthly World Cup series taking you up to Russia 2018 and the 11 Pieces of Me podcast where football fans and journalists construct their favourite all-time 11. Last but not least, the tactics part with Stevie Greve is our most popular part of the week. Discover the variety of high-quality analysis we've got at World Football Index by checking out our feeds on iTunes, SoundCloud, or your podcast of choice today. Finally, it's time for Dave's regular rant of the week. Liverpool, Watford, the Monday night game. Liverpool won one nil, thanks to a wonderful Emre Chan game. But Dave, should Liverpool have won by more than one goal? Ah. Uh... Of course they should. You know, we talked about teams on the beach. Well, I think Watford were the epitome of that, and that's no disrespect to them. Watford really didn't offer very much, but still managed to, to come away, or still nearly managed to come away with a draw. You know, it took a moment of brilliance, a pass from Lucas, which was absolutely pinpoint, and a toe-poked overhead kick from Emery Khan uh, to open the scoring. We hit the bar a couple of times. We huffed and we puffed. Coutinho went off injured. Um, you know, when, when that happened, you know, we always worry um, because his form in recent weeks has been what, what has been carrying us, basically, as Phil Coutinho. And Origi didn't turn up at all. He was on the beach as well, it seemed. And and as I say, it took a moment of brilliance to... to it took a moment of, uh, of brilliance uh, to actually beat a team that was on the beach. And that, given our position and given the aspirations of this season, is not particularly good... Uh, 
good news. We were helped massively this week. I think the Liverpool result is one thing, but the results that we've spoken around, um, you know, Arsenal losing, United being pegged back, um, have done us massive favours. This time last week, we'd have been looking at, you know, it was it was out of our hands, it's back in our control again, um, as it stands at the moment. But I, I do worry for us. I just don't think that we're... We're anywhere near, you know, Liverpool have been a really strange animal when you take it across, you know, the, the whole season and, and and analyze the season as a whole from, you know, the, the second game of the season when we lost 2-0 at Burnley, um, the warning signs were there. Then we were outstandingly brilliant and going forward and uh, devastating at times. And then Christmas came and, and we just couldn't put anything together. And now we're, I, I, I really don't know how to describe what we are at the minute. We're just sort of bumbling along and, and getting results. And, you know, when I said earlier on about, you know, not celebrating getting tougher, it'll be the most massive relief uh, to me if we if we do get it. And I do st- uh, stipulate if, because, you know, as I say, we, we have Southampton coming up here at the weekend who took care of us in, in the League Cup in, in uh, January. Um, they put us out both home and away. They beat us. So that's not an easy game. Uh, then we go away to West Ham and we're home to what we, we would assume probably as, as relegated um, Middlesbrough in the last game of the season. And look, if we if we get the three points at the weekend here, we're, we're in a different position. I think the game's running out and so on. And, and certainly United and Arsenal have to face off this weekend. United also have to play uh, Tottenham, who are in a wonderful stream of forms, as, as you know, you spoke about. But Liverpool at the minute, they're do, they're doing just enough, and I mean just enough. It's just like zero point zero zero one percent, just enough, and it's not good enough uh, coming up against these teams with 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 that kind of style of play, with that kind of attitude. Klopp at the minute has lost his, you know, that that effervescence that he had early on in the season, where he was, you know, everything was cool and everything was great. You know, the, the man's aged this season. Uh, the, this group of players, bottlers, pussies, whatever you want to call them, have, has aged the man. And I think it's a case of he just he wants to get over the line as well to, to get to get shot of a few of them. And I, and I couldn't really blame him at that. At, at the moment, if we get top four, it will be lucky uh, rather than anything else. And again, I base that across the, the, whole, the whole season from the time of being devastating to the time of being woeful to now where you just don't know what you're going to get. As I say, Liverpool are a club at the minute who, if they get top four this season with the right investment, can go places. You know, all the all the parameters around the club are in the right place. The stadium's expanded. Um, you know, everything's in place for Liverpool to succeed. But what they need is personnel on the pitch. And, you know, again, I mentioned uh, a Roy Keane, someone who knows how to win. And Alexis Sanchez, somebody who doesn't take losing, who doesn't take a backward step. And Liverpool don't have any of those type of players. And... To, for them to reach the next level, for them to move forward, and and this Watford game is, is a prime example of it, um, of those type of players when 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 you're, when you're in those games to take a step forward and say, hey, I'm taking this game by the scruff of the neck. I'm going to drag the rest of these players forward with me. And uh, you know, we used to have Gerard. It's gone. But compared to last season, I'm happy with the result. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm not happy with the result. I'm happy with the three points. We could have scored more. Yes, we we look just so bereft of, of, of ability to put the ball into the back of the net. We, we're fine until we get there, and it's just not happening. Um, you know, we, we saw Daniel Sturridge come off the bench. Um, I had a chance right at the end. Um, I, I put that down to actually a very, very good save uh, by Gomez. Um, but as I say, it's, it 
if you take this game and you look forward to the next three, it doesn't fill you with with you know. I, I'm not I'm not sitting here going, oh, we're going to get top four. We're going to get no, no. I'm I'm still wary of it because Liverpool, you just never know what you're going to get, Ellis. And I, I'm curious from you know you guys' point of view. Obviously, you're outsiders looking in. It's easier to, to to maybe look at the game more objectively than I do. But I I still have fears that the job is certainly not done. You say that about. Liverpool lacking that talismanic midfielder role. There's no Steven Gerrard anymore, Dave, and you're right. But one thing I'd say is Lucas has been pretty exceptional in his last five Premier League games. Maybe he's playing for a new contract or something, but he's had three assists in his past five Premier League appearances. That's as many as in his previous one as in his previous 163 top flight games. Lucas is on fire, isn't he? Listen, Ellis, Lucas divides our fan base like you wouldn't believe. You know, he's a player who was great under Rafa Benitez, and, and, and he's our longest-serving player. He's a player, personally, I have a lot of time for, but in having a lot of time for, I do recognize his his uh, limitations, let's say. Um, injuries wrecked, basically, the player that Lucas was. He is a useful player to have around, but is he even the quality of a squad player anymore? I don't think for what we're looking for, he is. And sadly, because he is such an influence around that dressing room, certainly um, with, with the Latin players and so on, he is a massive influence. He gets Liverpool Football Club, and he's probably the only one in that whole bloody squad that gets Liverpool Football Club. In regards to fan interactions, things like that, you could not fault Lucas Levia. He is an absolute star, but... I'm delighted to see him doing well at the moment. Yes, the stats speak for themselves, but his limited mistakes that he makes and so on. And generally, you know, he, he's a yellow card nailed on every game. You're guaranteed it. Um, you know, the game's not over until Lucas gets his yellow card. And, you know, there are there are massive limitations. It, it could more be maybe described as just a little swan song at the end of the season uh, rather than anything concrete. I don't foresee him being at Liverpool next season. And and that saddens me in some way. He's, he's too young still um, to, to, to be a coach uh, or even be considered for a coaching role. So I think that his future lies away from Liverpool. But I'm, I'm talking a fantastic servant to Liverpool Football Club. And I know a lot of Liverpool fans will go, ah, he's shit, he's shit. But, you know, look, he's, he's had his ups and downs. He, he's had very good spells with us. Uh, but the one thing for, for his faults... He'll give you 100% of what he's got. And that 100% might not just be enough anymore. But as I say, the ball to, for Emre Chan the other night, a few few occasions uh, he, he's played some wonderful through balls. And he should have actually been on the score sheet in the last couple of weeks as well. He's had a couple of really, really sort of uncharacteristic uh, pops at goal that, that, that almost went in as well. But as I say, I just think his time's up. Sadly, Ellis, sadly. Chris, have you got any thoughts on the other poll? I would just agree with Dave's comments on Lucas Leva. This is a player who, under Braden Rodgers, I think he was 24 hours away or something like that from a transfer away from the club. I think then there was a recognition in the club that on the pitch he didn't have too much to offer. But off the pitch, I think, is where his real value lies. I think he's been an outstanding representative for the club. As Dave has rightly said, he, he's, he's an influence from the South American contingent in the dressing room. But I think his time at Liverpool has come to a natural end in the summer. And, you know, the problem with Lucas is is also one of his strengths is that he's quietly effective. He's a solid 7 out of 10 every week. But do Liverpool have room in their squad for a 7 out of 10, particularly in midfield? With the likes of Wijnaldum and Emery Chan, I'm not so sure. I think the time might be right for him to move on. 
And I think he would do a, you know, a very good job at a mid-table Premier League club. And I think he's perhaps not as bad as some Liverpool players think he is. I think he's a decent player. But perhaps, given the injuries that he's had, I think a, a move would suit both parties. I think it's the legs, really, to be honest with you, Chris. Um, he doesn't have the legs for 90 minutes anymore. Um, you know, certainly I, I support him coming on the last 20 minutes to close out a game. But, you know, if you're 2 or 3 nil up, but sadly Liverpool don't get to the position of 2 or 3 nil up in, in, in its current form. Uh, and also, you know, he look, the, the guy has never complained. He's been moved from defensive midfield into the, um, into the centre of defence. He'll play any role you want him to play. That's the, that, that's the type of guy he is. He'll never complain. You know, they talk about Milner being the ultimate pro and so on. I, I would rate, rate Lucas higher on that scale. Um, he would give everything for the club. But I think those injuries, those, those two knee injuries that he had, um, you know, it, it was a very, very big blow to his career. And for my money, you know, even at a mid-level or a mid-table um, Premier League club, they'll struggle to get him to be effective for 90 minutes week in, week out. Um, and, and I think that's really where he is. Indeed, indeed. So, looking ahead to this weekend, Watford faced the defending champions in Leicester City on Saturday. That should be a solid mid-table 0-0 draw then, guys, shouldn't it? Anyway, feel free to shout at me if I get that wrong, guys, on Twitter. And Liverpool host ninth place Southampton on Sunday at 13.30. So we are coming to an end of this wonderful podcast. It's always great to speak to Dave and Chris. Guys, it's time for your plugs. Where can we find you on social media? Chris first. Yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter at ChrisW45 and at Border Football Index. I do the weekly EPL roundup for the site and as well as a few other articles on European football. Um, as well as that, you can find me in the recent edition of these Football Times magazine and on their website, um, but mainly these days on World Football Index. So give me a shout and, and let me know how I'm doing. And 442, yes. And 442 recently, yes, of course. Indeed, if you can't shame it and plug yourself, then what can you do, eh, Chris? Yeah, I'm just too, too polite for my own good. Now that was a great article, mate. That was really, really good. Well done. And Dave, where can we find you? What have you been up to recently? Well, editing a lot of podcasts, but you can find me at DaveRN66 on Twitter. And uh, for me plugs, I just like to, there's there's a globe pod out there in w, WFI at the minute on Israeli football and what's going on there. And, it, and it's a fascinating listen um, with one of the BBC journalists from from Israel on. You know, you just learn an awful lot from it of, of an area of football that maybe doesn't get an awful lot of publicity. And it, it truly is a fascinating, fascinating listen. And that, that's the one I want to plug most of all this week. But, of course, all our usual pods are there um, and more to come the rest of the week also. I've been Ellis Palmer. This has been the WFI EPL weekly podcast. You can find the mega podcast that I've recorded with Chris and Greg on the Arsenal Tottenham game, so that you know down in your feed. And hopefully we're going to have a preview podcast coming up on Thursday or Friday this week, looking ahead to the weekend's games. You can get in touch with the pod on Twitter or Facebook. Just find us at WFI EPL Weekly. It has been a pleasure speaking to you. Have a great week.